Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. Subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify to get notified when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas and visit our website, PraiseChapelLasVegas.com, to find out more about us and give online. Thanks again for joining and enjoy today's message. Capsize. <laughs> I, I know I live in Europe for a while. Do, do I smell? <laughs> um, what is up, Praise Chapel, Las Vegas? Um, I don't know where to start. I mean, I, I know you guys have been on this journey with us the whole time. Um, in Romania, helping Nixon and Alina, uh, what we ended up, what we really did out there was start their start a kids program, and uh, the kids from the street started to come and were getting plugged in, and their lives were changing. And then they would go home and tell their parents about the crazy American and his beautiful Estonian wife. And then uh, the parents started to come and see why there was an American working with their kids. And then they met Nixon and. You can't have your life not changed by Nixon, and the rest is history. And it was an amazing catalyst that God used to explode that church, and it, it was a wonderful blessing to be a part of it. Um, but kids, they, kids and youth have always been my heart. Um, I didn't know what God had in store. I didn't know how big the vision was uh, until recently. Um, I think it was December 2012 or January 13. Thank you, sir. Um, I was in the back of the Pittsburgh church and uh, I, was, I was getting ready to work with the kids. I, I, I had an alternating schedule. One month I was with the kids, one month I was back there where Brandon is. But we didn't have a, a cool sound booth in the sanctuary. I had a closet. And uh, I would walk around with, a, uh, with an iPad with the, everything else tucked around the back. Um, and and I, I, I'm, I'm drinking coffee, and, and my God, 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 we got to talk. You know, all right, I, I get it. I understand preaching. I understand teaching. I understand being a Bible study leader and an usher and all these things to teach me how to be a, a pastor. But what's with the kids? You know, God, I know kids are going to be 65% of my future, and he showed me a vision. And this vision the best way I could describe it or understand it was that it was an orphanage. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then, then of course, more discipleship and training and then finally released to Europe to not go do what I thought. Um, but what I didn't understand is what God showed me or what God showed me this vision. What he did is take a huge puzzle and pour it out on the table. And that orphanage part was only a small piece of it. It's just an, an aspect. It's huge in that it's working with youth, but it's giving them a safe place that they can come, like a youth center. But we also want to be able to provide for them so they can have a safe place to go because a lot of them don't want to go home because bad things are happening at home. I can stand here and talk all night about the vision. If you want to know more, 
like Pastor said, there are business cards out there with QR codes. There's a YouTube video. It'll link to it, and it'll explain it. Or come talk to me after service, because I want to get into the Word of God. I, I like the Word of God. Um, when you go watch that video, go watch the video, you'll see the building that I'm talking about. The building is huge. Maybe not biggest huge, but it's big. It's a three-story um, apartment building that was converted into an orphanage years ago. Um, I want it. I, it's perfect. It has everything we would need to start this building. It has a commercial-grade kitchen. It has everything we need. I want it. Um, and that's just one of the locations that we're working with, that we're thinking about. The needs for this vision in Estonia, let alone wherever God takes it in the future, are huge. I, I was talking to your pastor, and you know the needs, not only financially, but people in a governmental favor and everything we're going to need from God. I, I was, you know, I, I, the best way I can describe it, it's like standing at the foot of a mountain and looking up and seeing clouds because you can't see the top of this mountain. It's huge. But my God is bigger than that mountain. He looks down on it. So it's going to take a lot of trusting God. Does everyone here trust God? How much? Father God, I pray that as this word goes forth, you would work in every heart. You would work even in my heart, that you would speak to every heart, that you would bring revelation in every heart, and that you would have your way. Be glorified tonight with freedom, with salvation, with deliverance, with healing, and all the great things that you give us because, God, you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you trust God with the deep stuff? I mean, it's easy to trust God with material stuff. But do you trust him with the deep stuff? You know what I'm talking about. That stuff that you lock away from everyone, even yourself. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you. And leads me along and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There's a lot that offends God that lives in our heart. And I don't need to bring out the list because it's anything that we keep from God. I mean, we can have our sin, and as long as we're struggle as long it, it we can have our struggles, and as long as we're actively fighting and trying. That doesn't offend God because the desire to change, the desire to get healing, it, it makes God happy because God can move. God can bring the healing. God can bring the miracles. As long as you're not trying to do it yourself and you're willing to sit, come up here to this altar and lay down and be like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. This is my struggle. Get it? I, trust me, I get it. I've had my struggles. We're, we're going to get into that. But we all have a lot of stuff in there. It, it happens. We all know that Jesus came to bring salvation and victory over death. He came to be that sacrifice to bring the forgiveness of all sins of all time. My sins, your sins, his sins, her sins, all sins. 
past, present, future. But that's not all. But wait, there's more. There's another gift that Jesus came to bring. Open with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. And Jesus returned to, to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is, up, is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the, name, the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus came to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. God, you're so good. He brings more than just salvation. He brings freedom. He brings deliverance. He brings vision to the blind. But not just the physically blind. He heals spiritual blindness. Because there's a lot of people walking around who think they have it all figured out because they believe some form of religious teaching but they're, they're blind. There's a lot of spiritually or emotionally blind people. He came to heal oppression. He came to set the captives free. He came to bring life and life more abundant. You can't have abundance if you're locked up. If you're in prison, you can't live a very abundant life. In prison, you live a very sheltered, contained, and controlled, and oppressed life. How many of us know we can be prisoners in our own minds, in our own hearts? We can be prisoners to addiction, drugs, alcohol, medication. I mean, doesn't have to be illicit drugs. We can be bound to something the doctor's giving us. Bound to cigarettes, a lot of addiction. You can be bound to lust, with sex, or other lustful things, pride, or own mindsets. And they don't have to be what we consider sinful mindsets. It can be poverty mindset. It can be, I was born here, I'm going to be stuck here. You know, we see this a lot in Europe, especially working with Ukrainians. They have this poverty mindset. You know, like, a lot of times you buy something. Wow, dude, how much money did you spend on that? It doesn't matter how much money I spent on it. But if you have a poverty mindset, all you're thinking about is the money. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an oppression. Spiritual oppression keeps us in bondage. These oppressions, these decisions... Are they, these oppressions can come from our own choices, our own decisions. 
It can come from generational curses. The type of bondage that people may be in don't matter. What matters is that there's bondage. I've seen many people in I've seen many people in Narva, where we live in Estonia. Um, if you don't know where Estonia is, this is Europe. This is Spain. This is this is Narva, top right of or the most northeastern point of continental Europe. If you want to find Narva, keep going to the top right uh, on the border of the water and Russia. You will find Narva. Uh, I, I see Russia from my living room. We're right on the corner. Um, there's a lot of bondage. There's a lot of drugs, a lot of heroin, a lot of alcohol, a lot of poverty. Small town, so the, the goal of people is to move to the big city. There's a lot of different bondages, just like Vegas. Drive around, and you know what I mean. I'll be honest with you. I was stuck in bondage for years. I was actually healed very recently from rejection and bondage that I didn't even realize I had. I was so stuck in rejection, I hated myself. Because I hated myself, because I stayed stuck in my rejection, it led me to reject God because I rejected the freedom that he was offering me. You see, sometimes God opens the door of the prison. We don't realize we're free, so we sit here in our suck. Let's read a story from Acts chapter 12, starting in the sixth verse. It's about the apostle Peter. He was in prison once, and the angel came and set him free. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an, angel of, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to wake him up and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel said to him, and Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. He did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He thought it was too good to be true. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod, and from what the Jewish, Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. I believe that like Peter, many people are imprisoned in their own minds, their hearts, and their spirits because they don't understand that Jesus came like that angel and set them free. You know, a lot of times we build walls in an effort to keep out hurt, keep out fear, keep out disappointment, the different failures that we've had, we want to keep all that away. We create a stronghold. We create our safe place. 
Google defines stronghold as a place that's been fortified so as to protect it against attack. Another word for stronghold is fortress. This is a fortress. This is about five minutes from my house on the Russian side of the border. It was built to keep the Swedes on our side of the border. And on our side of the border, you'll find another fortress that was built to keep the Russians out of Swedish-occupied Estonia. Fortresses aren't always bad. Strongholds are sometimes good. 2 Samuel 23, 13 through 17 says, Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Raphaim. The three, who were among the thirty, an elite group of David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. It says, David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. So David and his army were in the stronghold. The Bible says that the, the enemy, the Philistine army, was all around. So it makes sense that a fortress protects people. Be, I mean, after all, 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6 talks about fiery darts or arrows that the wicked one, Satan, likes to throw at people. So, you know, you got a devil walking around like a lion. Got a, you got fiery darts head flying at your mind. A fortress sounds good. I, I mean, I, I can see why we build fortresses, right? So then why are there so many songs and so many sermons about tearing down strongholds? Because we were never told to stay in our stronghold. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, They will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. First of all, what are our self-built fortresses made out of? Fears, doubts, failures, hurts, and the like. All this negativity that we faced in the past. You know, remember those the fiery darts? the devil throws at us you know he doesn't have to throw a single one of them we're sitting here behind our own wall of suck staring at it we don't you you don't want to peek out because you're like okay that's the time this happened that's the time that happened that's the time that happened no i, I can't go out there the devil doesn't have to shoot an arrow he's over here on chilling in the shade drinking some lemonade like <laughs> look at that idiot look at that fool I don't even have to work hard. God never tells us to build a stronghold because God is our fortress. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Everything that defines stronghold is found in this verse. One of my favorite Bibles is the Names of God version. That verse is read like this. Yahweh is my rock in my Metsuda and my savior, my El, my rock in whom I take refuge, my Magen, and the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. 
These words, Metsuda, El, Megen, Yahweh, these are names of God. So that means God's name is Yahweh Metsuda, my God, my fortress. God is our stronghold, not the walls that we build. God can't not be our fortress. It's who he is. It's his name. When we make our fears, our doubts, our failures, our hurts, and all these other negative things, our strongholds, we make them our Megan, our, our Metsuda. We make them our God. We make them our protector. Not only does that make us guilty of idolatry and putting something before God, does the devil's work for him. When we're stuck behind our walls, we cannot move forward. It's like the soldier who's in a foxhole. It's great for protecting, but there's no way to advance. You can't gain ground if you're in a hole. The minute you pop your head out of that foxhole, bam, you catch one of the you catch a hot one. You get an arrow. The same goes if you're sitting if you're sitting inside your fortress, afraid of what's outside. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and violent men take it by force. You don't win a war by cowering in fear. You win a war by using your weapons of warfare. You have weapons. Use them. God showed me something one time. This is something I love to tell young disciples. You know, a, a disciple will come to me and say, dude, I need, I need help. I, I'm, I'm struggling with this struggle. I'm like, okay, what, what do you do when this struggle, when the struggles enter your mind? You know, I do what the Bible says. I take every thought captive. I cast it down. I'm like, cool, that's good. Then what? Then I keep it. Then I, then I pray against it and I pray against it and I pray against it. And I'm like, you know, the devil has this unlimited supply of fiery, fiery darts. And he just sits there and throws them and throws them and throws them. If you sit here and try to be on defensive the whole time, he will wear you down because he will just keep throwing darts. So get out of defense. Get on offense. The best defense is a good offense. So if the devil's attacking your mind with lust, so I rebuke these thoughts, God, I don't want this. Give me the purity of mind. And God, I want to lift up my brother and pray against lust entering his mind. Put the devil on defense and start attacking his flank, praying for your brother or your sister or whomever. Your husband, your wife, your kids. Put the devil on defense and quit cowering in fear. Amen? So how do we get out of our self-made stronghold? First, you got to want to get out. Let me give you an example. Think of it like this. Satan is a slave trader. He, he traffics human souls. Demons come and say, Satan, I want, give me 10 souls. I want to go use and abuse them. And he says, cool, come back for more when you're done. And you see, Satan, uh, he got full authority over every soul that's born on this earth. We gave it to him. He wasn't supposed to have it, but Adam and Eve decided to fall and listen to him, not listen to God. And, you know, we all know the rest that happened. The price of, soul, uh, the price of a soul is death because death entered the, the, entered the world with sin. 
And that's why death was, is, was a requirement as an atonement sacrifice. Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Abraham and his wife. Why? Because the shame of, because the, the shame of guilt from sin. The, first, the result of the first sin was the first death. The first death happened to cover, happened to cover the shame that comes from sin. We all know when we fall short, the worst thing we feel is the shame. That was the first time the blood was shed and the life was given as atonement. The problem is that animal sacrifices are temporary because the cost of the first sin wasn't just death. It was perfection. Perfection was lost in the garden. That's why only a perfect sacrifice could truly atone for the first sin. That's why Jesus Christ had to give his perfect life as the perfect sacrifice. His perfect blood was the perfect payment to buy every enslaved soul back from Satan. The perfect blood of the Son of God is the only payment that Satan cannot refuse. So think of it like this. When I was in Poland, um, I visited Auschwitz many times. Um, you know the, you know the the gate that you've seen in history books. Albeit Mechtfried, work makes you free. I, I've walked under that gate multiple times. Um, when the uh, when the, the the Germans were sending the Polish slaves to go uh, to go work to death. They would walk under this gate and they would see work makes you free. All their hope had been stripped from them. They had nothing to live for. All they knew was wake up, go to work, come back, go to sleep, and do it again. Because work makes you free. They would see that. There would be an orchestra playing cheerful music as these prisoners were being marched probably to their death. But that's all they knew. They didn't run. There was no soldiers with guns. They weren't on prison buses. They were told, go walk to the factory, work, and when it's done, you come home. And they did. Because work makes you free. The, the, the idea that Satan is a slave trader. Imagine that there's a, a corral of human souls. Satan's buying, you know, Satan's buying, selling, doing what he does. And then uh, God walks up and says, I'll take them all. Here's the, here's the blood of my son. It was shed. You cannot refuse it. And he says, all right, that's what I wanted. You had to suffer. So I got what I wanted. All right, you guys can go. And you got, a, you got some of them that take off and they're like, I'm out. I'll, I'll go with you, God. And then you got a, a, another small but bigger crowd that says, you know what that, 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 that looks like a good idea that sounds like a good idea but I know what this life is like tell you what I'm going to stay here you tell me how it goes and if everything is good come back tell me and I'll go and then they eventually do go but it does take time and hopefully they don't die and then there's the third group that says, you know what? 
I'm just going to stay here and die. In my, and die. I know what I have here. It might not be the best, but it's mine. Because all the while, just like those uh, prisoners that were hearing cheerful music, this is your life. Work makes you free. You got the devil saying, you don't know what's out there. Don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll be nice. Fine, just stay here. It could be worse out there. Or he, he's given the other lies. You're not worth freedom. Stay here. You're a filthy sinner. He really doesn't want you. And all these other lies that are keeping people in their bondage. We all know those lies. He's tried to mess with our minds with them. Sometimes we hear them from family or friends or other people. I was in a homeless shelter when I was 18. Um, it's cool. That's how I met Holy Spirit. It was a lighthouse mission in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, you had to go to church. They didn't care what kind of church. As long as you went to church and got a piece of paper that said he, this guy went to church. I was a, a young dude, and the uh, young guys were like, bro, you got to come check out this church. It's a biker church. And I, I was a Catholic. I didn't know anything about Christianity. So I went to this church, and it scared me, you know, what we consider worship music and rock and roll. And I, I, I was like, what is this? This is awesome. I met, you know, I saw, I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life. Um, that's a story for another day. But as soon as I had an opportunity to get out, I did. I took it. You know, I, I walk up to the guys on, I'm going to sign my stuff out. I'm out. You'll be back. Hey, always come back. Not speaking a curse over my life. That is literally speaking failure over my life. We do that to people without thinking about it. It's a lie from hell. Because so many times, our friends, our people, or people we know, say, you'll be back. Person gets saved. I don't want to drink. Well, all right, dude. You'll be back. Those are all lies. It's curses. Jesus came to break them. We just need to have faith that there is freedom in Christ. And then that, the fourth slave mindset that we need to pray against is the, uh, the mindset that the uh, Hebrews had. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned, they whined. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. You know, they, they start believing the lies that the, the, the pit of shame was better. So how many of you believe that you're free? Truly free. Not just from addiction or behavioral issues. Free. You know, the longer I'm saved, the more freedom that Jesus brings into my life, the more I understand that many that a lot of times in Christianity today, people are more concerned with behavior than actual freedom. If a person's not drinking or smoking or cussing or having sex outside of their marriage, if they go to church regularly with a smile on their face, the, the, the smile is important. 
If they can quote some scripture, they're saved. A person can be behaviorally ex acceptable. Ow, sorry, I bit my tongue the other day and I keep biting it. But their heart is still very much in bondage. In my case, before Jesus, I drank a lot. I did drugs and I rebelled in many ways. Why? Because I felt rejected. My family taught me that I was worthless. I, I was bounced from family member to family member. Both of my parents abused me. Both of my parents rejected me. Nobody in my family wanted me. Um, uh, I'm going to, you know, Father's Day is like next week. I'm going to spend Father's Day with my dad for the first time in, uh, I don't know, how old am I, 30 years? Something like that. Um, the last Father's Day I remember with my dad, I was uh, eight or nine. I bought him a, a present. We were sitting at a picnic, uh, picnic table in a church, or in, a, in a park in, uh, in Diamond Bar, California. Nah. He's having a talk with me and said, I'm not your dad anymore. Your grandpa's going to be your dad. I became very angry. My family sent me to psychiatrists and doctors, and they said, you have problems, and gave me drugs. You know, part of the Ritalin experiments, and Ritalin and Silert and Adderall, and, you know, all those drugs. I was on them all. And as I grew older, I have problems, so I gave myself drugs. I, they began to have relationships. This rejection that was never dealt with caused me to push people away. If they didn't leave, I pushed harder to the point of violence. You know, what's hard to admit is I put my wife through a whole bunch of stuff because this rejection still lived in me. There was points that I would hurt myself to hurt my wife. I hated myself and refused to let anyone love me. I was spiritually oppressed by a spirit of rejection. I was told, overcome your anger, addiction, and your lust. I was taught behavioral Christianity. If you overcome your anger, God can use you. All these surface level issues were visible, so they were addressed. This deeper issue of this rejection was never dealt with. Anyone got close, I fought or I ran. I was so bound that I didn't realize I was free. I was like Paul. Door was wide open. The wall was torn down. But I was sitting there hiding behind the rubble, staring at it like I'm in jail. I don't know. I'm free. I'm here to say, I'm here today to say that I think that many people are in bondage in their own hearts. You might not even know that you're bound. Or you might be afraid to face it. So you never admit it. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Perfect love casts out all fear. I was afraid to look into my past. I'll be honest. I had a lot of people tell me, because I was always seen as so angry. You know, were you molested? Did this happen to you? Did that happen to you? And I didn't know. I blacked out my life. So I didn't know. You know, I had this person telling me this and that person telling me that about this person and that person. And he says, she says, and all this stuff. I didn't know what to believe. And I didn't know. All I knew, that, all I knew is that 
people in my family would tell me that since I was like 18 months old, I would walk up to kids and knock them down. I had no idea what it was, but I was told from that age, I'm very violent, I'm very angry. So I became very violent and angry. There was a curse that was being spoken over my life. I didn't even know about it. You know what it was? You know what was done to me, Pastor? Nothing. My mom is a aggressive person. You know how she shows love? She'll walk up and smack you in the chest. I got out of the truck when I got to Indiana this, on this trip. She walks up and smacks me in the chest and says, hey, boy, how you doing? The light bulb came on. That was it. I grew up watching my mom do this. This is how she expressed love. This is how she played. So naturally, as a little kid, I would walk up to my friends and bam, how you doing, dude? I wasn't trying to be mean. It's just what I knew. But people were saying, you're violent, you're angry, and all this, and beginning to speak all these curses that led to rejection, led to this big pile of everything. But Jesus wants to set us free of everything. We don't need to figure it all out because he broke the chains. Now I want to take some time to pray. I want to pray for people's hearts. I want to pray for freedom. I want to pray for deliverance. Because Jesus paid the price for all of our freedom, not just mine. I want everyone to walk out of their, their, their prisons. You're not in prison anymore. The angels go over here. If I need to smack you on the side of the head and say, get up, it's time to go. Come, I'll, I'll smack you on the side of the head. Say, get up, it's time to go, because it's time to go. Amen. I want you to meditate on a, on a scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Everyone say this with me. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I don't care what has been spoken over you. I don't care what you believed. I don't care what lifestyle lies you may have believed. I don't care what cultural lies you may believe. I got one for you. Where I live, we have a lot of, shall we say, strife between people. Because in Estonia, you have Estonians and you have Russians. They are very different people. Estonians are very passive. They are very quiet. They are very analytical and literal. Russians are the exact opposite. They just don't really get along. There's times that I've talked to my wife and she's like, I want to be able to go tell people about Jesus. And go. But I'm too Estonian, I can't. But you're not Estonian anymore. You're, you're, from the, you're a member of the kingdom of God. So here's one for you. There's no such thing as American or Mexican or Puerto Rican or Guatemalan or Estonian or Russian, or European, or anything. None of that matters because none of it exists. All things will pass away. This world is finite. It will end. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of the devil. Be part of this one. Don't be part of this one. People might be bound by lives of understanding, mindset. I was born... 
I was born poor, so I'm going to be poor because my family's always been poor. My family has never graduated high school or graduated college, so that means I'm going to be a dropout. All these oppressions, all these fears that people believe, no, all things are, are, are made new. That life is over. What about the good stuff? You know, it's quick to say, God, I don't want my anger. God, here's my anger. Here's my pride. Here's my, here's my these things. But you know what? I like my sense of humor. I like my culture. Let it go. All things are made new. God, take it all. I was, uh, you know, God opened the door for us to buy an apartment in Estonia. And I lived there for about a month, getting it ready for my family to move in. And there was one morning, I went to pray. I wanted to pray. And all I could think about is rearranging my furniture. No, 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 I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying. And all I can see is how to rearrange my furniture. But I'm, I'm praying. Go rearrange your furniture. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll go rearrange my furniture. <coughs> so God starts showing me this. You know, this is what people do in my, it, this is what people do when they invite me into their heart. They come in and say, here you go, God, live in my heart. But don't move that couch. Leave that bed there. I like it like this. So are we really saying, God, come live in my heart? Or are we saying, God, be a visitor in my heart? If it's ours, we're free to do whatever we want. If we give God our heart, we're saying, God, do what you want. If you want to throw away the bed, throw away the bed. He's going to put a better one. The mattress when I moved into my apartment? I've seen... You don't want to know. That's what God wants to do. He looks at the mattress in our heart. Says, yeah, I don't want to sleep on that. I want to throw that out and put a new one in there. It's going to be better. So right now I want to take some time to pray against bondage, against oppression. But we need to be willing to realize that we're free. We need to be willing to walk away from our prison into freedom. So my first question, is there anyone here in that second group that's saying, you know what, this salvation thing, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I see some of you guys went, but is anyone in that, I want to wait and see place. And you're waiting to see, you know what, I, I think it sounds like a good idea. But I don't know. Is there anyone that's waiting for that, uh, that person to come back and say, you know what, this is a good idea, come with me. Leave your prison. Because today's your day. It's time to leave the prison. Or is there anyone who said, God, I want you to live in my heart, but stay out of that room. And leave it like this. That hasn't said, you know what, God? It's yours. Arrange it how you want Throw away what you want. Burn what you want with fire. Paint it the color you want. You know what, God?